You may be seated. Two readings from Paul's letters to the early church, each of about one verse in length, but each of them were foundational to Luther's theology and to the Reformation itself. One describes that we are living by faith alone, and the second one from Ephesians is by grace alone. For it is in the righteousness of God that it is revealed through faith for faith, Paul wrote, as it is written, the one who lives will live by faith. And then Paul wrote these words, surely not understanding the profound impact that they would have 1,500 years later on Martin Luther when he began then to speak of only, only by grace. But Paul wrote, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast of good works. This ends the readings from Paul's letter, first to the Romans and then to the Ephesians. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be offered humbly and faithfully. Amen. The story of the Reformation is very much a history of books and print. And that is because the foundation for the telling of the good news of God's grace, which Luther wished to tell, the foundation was the printing press. Now, it is true that even today the Reformation is still shaping who we are. But it is also true that the Reformation led to a terrible and long period of violence and bitter partisan politics. It led to a 30 years war. And sometimes the conflict that the Reformation caused takes attention away from a very, I'm going to tell you, remarkable and very beautiful fact. And it's this, that extremely well-educated folk proposed and articulated a faith in Jesus Christ and proposed the faith that would be, they were devoted to proposing a faith that would remove, remove the barrier between the learned and the unlearned. That's astonishing. The reformers, despite all their faults, were dedicated to telling the good news of God's grace. And grace, one could argue, is the foundation of the good news of the Christian faith. But they wished to tell of God's grace in a fully intelligible way and in the language of the people so that the common folk would understand. The reformers were devoted to the work of ending, think about this, of ending an advantage they themselves enjoyed. And they wished to make learning broadly available. And the printing press was essential to that desire. John Calvin even went on to write that now, now because the language of God is in the people's voices, now they will not only understand the heavens and the stars and all their glory, but that they will be as intelligible in their deepest meanings to both the unlearned as well as the learned. No one, 
Calvin said. And think about this. No one will now be ignorant of the excellent wisdom of our Lord. And wisdom, wisdom might very well be found in knowing and hearing of God's grace. That verse that I just read from Ephesians was, in a sense, an accelerant to the Reformation. For Paul wrote, and Luther heard it in a way no one else had really heard it before, by grace you are saved. And this is not our own doing. It is a gift of God. So grace, that confluence of Well, it's more than forgiveness, it's more than mercy, it's more than justice, it's more than love. It is all of those things. Grace was central to the Reformation. Now, because of God's grace, because of that verse, you no longer needed an indulgence. You no longer needed to show off your good works of generosity to the world, but rather, and through no cause of our own, God loves us. Not a one of us deserves it. And yet, it is offered nonetheless. Well, you know what that meant? That meant, and it led to some of the changes of the Reformation, you no longer really need priests. You no longer need the church as an institution to be assured of God's love. But rather, Luther reminds us from reading that passage in Ephesians that it is God's nature to love us, whether we desire God or not. In fact, Luther and Calvin would constantly preach sermons saying, do not believe that by any acts of generosity or charity that you are moving closer to God. That isn't how it works, they said, but but God is actively drawing you closer to her, drawing us closer, not based on our merits, on how deserving or generous we are, or what we've done in God's name, but instead, God is drawing us by grace. And our response to grace is faith. And from that foundational belief, lots of changes of the church were proposed. Purgatory, which I mentioned earlier, was rejected as unscriptural. And, of course, so were those indulgences that Luther so hated. But the Reformers also rejected the canonization of only specific people as saints. It was now the sainthood of all believers. It's why we sing or hear at a memorial service the great hymn, for all the saints. And we are all priests who bear the image of God, for it is the priesthood of all believers. And so the Reformation rejected forgiveness that could only be offered by priests. It rejected pilgrimages to the Holy Land, crusades, and anything else that one thought that one could do to, well, curry God's favor. They were all rejected. Because nothing, according to the Apostle Paul, nothing earns us grace. It's God's gift. And more than that, it's God's nature. Remember the parable of the vineyard? Parable that turns our earthly world system of fairness on its head. The rough 
summary of it is this. A vineyard owner says, come to work in my vineyard. I need you to pick the grapes. He asks some very early in the morning. They come at dawn, and they work all day long. And he promises them a very fair wage. But every couple of hours, he brings in more workers. And at the end of the day, the ones who came at the very end receive what was promised to the one who came the earliest part of the day. And they're thinking to themselves, we're sunburned, we're dehydrated. Our hands are scarred from the rough vines of the vineyard. I can't imagine what our reward is going to be. And they receive the same as those who came at the end of the day. And they're livid, right? And we're livid too because our culture has told us from our earliest memories that you will get what you earn. A friend of mine once told me she so disliked that parable of the vineyard workers that she thought it didn't belong in the Bible. <laughs> it's just not right, she said. I mean, it's wrong, she said, that those who worked less hours got paid the same. She added, it goes, and she's right, against all rules of logic and fairness and all rules of economics, for that matter, as well. How, she said, can that be a story about God? And so there she was, less than amazed about grace, and rather she was grumbling about it. At the end of the parable, Jesus said that the vineyard owner speaks to the muttering workers who had toiled all day and were upset about receiving the same that those Johnny-come-latelys had gotten. The vineyard owner says, I've done you nothing wrong. You've received this wonderful gift just as I promised. And I always imagined the tone of the voice changing. And the vineyard owner says, do not begrudge my generosity to others. Don't complain about others receiving my love. And that's what makes it grace, right? I mean, I know, I understand it's an challenge to the incredibly thick soup of assumptions we live in. We believe in a meritocracy where economic criteria, criteria and financial ways of evaluating almost everything reign supreme. But don't get me wrong. There is value in hard work. There's value in fair play. But when the focus is single-mindedly on you get what you deserve, we believe you get what you deserve, some truth about ourselves and a very large truth about God is at risk. The parable of the vineyard points, sort of aims or orients us to the understanding that the grace of God is not only amazing, but potentially exasperating. The reformers wanted us to know how different God's love is from you and me. But that's because it's not just love, it's grace. If the only measure of fairness is our preoccupation, if our only measure is fairness and our preoccupation is with our just desserts, we lose touch with God's grace and graciousness. And we might forget that if we only get what we deserve from God, we might be very disappointed. I mean, consider how much has been written and said about the hard edge of anger building up in our society. I mean, could it be that if, if life is reduced to you get what you deserve, 
If our lives are reduced to economic values alone, then you know what I think happens? Is our hearts begin to contract and compassion and kindness begin to shrivel. Perhaps acknowledging that each of us, each of us, is a receiver of an astonishing amount of mercy and forgiveness from God. Perhaps that is what not only will open our hearts, but our hands to others. And you know what? That's what happened to Jim Harper. Right? Jim Harper. Maybe you don't know him, but Jim Harper is someone who came to work in God's vineyard at the last hour. It was the end of the day. He arrived in the bottom of the ninth inning. Jim Harper started a homeless shelter called the Center for Street People, which we used to work a lot with. And for most of Jim Harper's life, he had been homeless and a drug abuser. But he came to believe that he had received a second chance, and so he started the Center for Street People with a vision of helping those with whom he had once walked. Within almost a year of having started the Center for Street People, he became quite ill. It was obvious that he was going to die. And something, well, maybe amazing, happened on his deathbed. Jim Harper, hours before he died, was baptized into the Christian faith. And then was ordained as a United Church of Christ minister. From an economic perspective, if you ask the clergy pension boards about Jim Harper's contribution, it would have been too little and too late. In a world where one's reward is in proportion to one's contribution, maybe they'd be right. But the reformers reminded us that in Jesus' teaching, that God looked upon Reverend Harper's ministry is equal to anyone's lifelong service. For grace, which is amazing, points us, orients us to God's way, and God's way is not our way. God's generosity is beyond our own schemes of reward. And that is one of the legacies of the Reformation. This morning, you heard me read those two verses from the Apostle Paul in our language. Well, of course they did, right? Well, no. For 1,500 years of the Christian faith, people didn't understand what was being spoken or said. It's a fairly recent development, but it is a gift to you and to me. Because that means if we hear of God's grace in our own language, we are now expected to carry the story in our own hearts. Luther turned the world upside down by opening his heart to these words. For you have been saved by grace, and this is not our own doing. It is a gift of God. You heard it in our own language. So open your hands, Open your hearts, and of course, open your ears to the grace that is amazing in every language. Amen.